The Freedom Dividend Podcast represents my opinion on financial markets, investing, economics, and politics. All information disseminated on the podcast is not investment advice. Anyone seeking financial advice should look to contact a licensed broker or industry-registered financial advisor. The S&P finished the week with another terrible day in the markets, down one spot, eight nine percent on the day. The the S and P five hundred is now down eight point three one percent on the year, just three trading weeks into the new year. The Nasdaq had again the real carnage with the selling, down over two and a half percent on the day. It is now going deeper and deeper into correction territory, already down over 12% on the year. And all signs are showing that this sell-off is going to continue to go on over the next several weeks. The Russell 2000, also in correction territory, finished the day down one spot, 7-8%. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average, also down on the day, was down the least of all the major stock market averages down just 1.3%. And that is a sign that, again, investors are selling growth stocks and tech stocks and rotating into value as the indice that was down the least on the day and on the week was the Dow Jones, which is an index that does have some value-oriented names in it. The U.S. 10-year, the yield fell slightly today. It's back down to 1.77%. Oil had a bit of a pullback as well, now trading at $84.83 per barrel for West Texas crude. Gold also sold off slightly on the day, although it held up relatively well compared to everything else in the market. It was down 3.35%. It finished the day at 1836 spot one zero. Bitcoin, on the other hand, was where the real damage was in the markets today. All cryptocurrencies selling off heavily. Bitcoin, as I'm speaking, is now at $36,430, and it has a long way to fall. Now down over $6,000 on the day, 14% move to the downside. And again, the real carnage in the highly speculative names, stocks, and investments in general as investors continue to look for risk off in this market. But the NASDAQ, again, is now down 13% on the year. The S&P 500 down 8% on the year. And again, there's been major weakness. The NASDAQ itself was down almost a full 12% in just the last two weeks alone. So we continue to see major selling. And if we look at the more highly speculative stocks, look at Peloton, which announced yesterday that it's going to start halting a lot of its manufacturing of bikes and treadmills. Now, they walked it back a little bit today that they're not doing a complete halt. But what they have to do is they have to shrink their manufacturing capacity to bring in, in line with the demand for their bikes. And I've talked about this stock But this stock is getting killed because, again, it was only as highly valued as it was because it was a momentum stock where people were just buying it because the price was going up. There were analysts on CNBC just a few months ago that were recommending this stock for a buy at over $130 per share. 
the stock ended the day at $26.94 a share. And that was after it had a dead cat bounce today after a horrible day yesterday. The stock was up 11% today, but still down over 20% on the week. And again, these momentum names still have a long way to fall for people that are coming in and buying up the dips, thinking that this is just a small correction. They are probably going to be wrong. Look at MicroStrategy. Again, highly linked to the price of Bitcoin, but this stock finished the day at $365 a share, lost over $81 a share on the day, finished down 17.8% and was down another 2.9% in the after hours trading session. Caesars Entertainment. Again, I've talked about this stock. I got, went over it in the last podcast. Down another 6% today. Continues to get clobbered, down over 30% from the highs. Netflix, another one. Now, this stock had a very weak earnings report this week. They are having trouble with subscriber growth. And this stock finished the day down 23% after a horrible earnings report. Now priced at $396 per share. Was trading at well above $600 a share late last year. And one of the problems for Netflix is that they're like the gambling stock market that I've been talking about. The There is too much competition in this industry. There are now tons of streaming services that are competing for the same customers. And it is very expensive for these businesses to develop content, but also they charge a very, very low price for their services. And it's a very low margin business. But there are very few subscribers left for Netflix to gain in the United States. They're trying to expand in other markets around the globe. But still, the price of this stock is insanely high. And investors are starting to recognize that this stock is never going to grow into its valuation. Hence why it was down 23% on the day. But this shows there's a lot of trouble for other streaming companies to come because, again, They have the same problem that a lot of the gambling sports books have is that there are too many competitors in the market and it's oversaturated and they're all competing each other out of business. Robinhood, this stock was down 5% on the day, down to $12.85 a share. Remember just a few weeks ago, it was trading well over $40 a share. So all of the highly speculative names that were momentum stocks last year, again, continue to get killed this week. You look at shares of Zillow, Square, GameStop, MicroStrategy, Sunrun, Affirm, SL Green, AMC, DoorDash, Lucid Group, Virgin Galactic, just to name a few, and the list goes on and on. Opendoor, Uber, Robinhood, Vornado, Arc Innovation, Grubhub, DraftKings, Rivian, Peloton, all of these stocks are down heavily on the year. Again, all these stocks I was recommending, taking on short positions going into this year. And so far, I've been proven right on that. Now, of course, we're still early, early in the year. But again, there is no signs that all of this selling is over with. And a lot of investors are coming to terms with the fact that these stocks are highly overvalued and they're going to continue to sell them as they are still incredibly overvalued, even at the prices they're at ending the week. And lastly, the ARK Innovation ETF down 26% on the year already, 
finished the day down all the way to $71.52 a share. This ETF is now down over 55% from its all-time high price last year. And again, this stock is typically what I would call a bubble mania speculation stock. If you look at all the stocks in this ETF, they are it's comprised of companies that are either money losing companies or that earn very tiny pr- amounts of profits compared to their valuations. But this was the poster child for the COVID rally in the stock market last year. And I said, if you recall on the podcast, that Kathy Wood, even though she had an amazing 2020, was going to have one of her worst years as a money manager in 2021. And of course, that prediction came true as well, because again, her stock is down 55% from its all-time highs, and almost 25% of that came from the tail half of last year. But again, this is a, a ETF that is comprised with the most highly speculative growth stocks in the market. And what's rich about this stock is that Kathy Wood actually did an interview on CNBC this week that I caught, and she actually had the nerve to come out and say that she thinks value stocks are in a bubble. Now, this is completely laughable for several reasons, one being value stocks, if they were in a bubble, would not actually be considered value stocks anymore, but two... If you look at how value stocks have performed relative to growth stocks over the past five years, growth stocks have completely outperformed value stocks. Look at the O-Shares U.S. Quality Dividend ETF Fund. Now, this is Shark Tank Kevin O'Leary's fund. It holds a lot of dividend payers that are companies based in the U.S. Now, year to date, this fund is down 6%. But remember, the overall markets are down about 8% if you look at the S&P 500. But if you look at the past five years of performance of this fund, this fund has increased by 58% over the last five years. Now, compare that to Vanguard's Growth Index Fund ETF, and that ETF has appreciated by 143% over the past five years. So that ETF of growth stocks has outperformed Kevin O'Leary's dividend fund by almost 100% more in the past five years, yet Kathy Wood says that value stocks are in a bubble. But of course, she has to say that because she has to take attention away from her innovation fund because everyone thinks that's in a bubble and they think that bubble has been popped and now all the air is coming out of it. But her only rationale for saying why her growth stocks are not in a bubble is she is saying that because everyone thinks it's a bubble, that means it's not a bubble. But clearly, she can't see the forest from the trees. She can't see that people are clearly rotating out of growth into value and more specifically, international value, which also, if you look at international value funds, right, in the iShares Edge value factor ETF, over the past five years, that fund has only had a 14% appreciation. So that fund, international value stocks, have have drastically underperformed the U.S. markets. And so to say value stocks in general are in a bubble 
is completely crazy. But what I believe she is referencing is the fact that internet that value stocks in the United States have performed relatively well compared to value stocks outside of the United States. Again, compare Kevin O'Leary's O'Shares U.S. Quality Dividend ETF to the iShares Value Factor ETF. Uh, the O'Shares U.S. Quality Dividend ETF has appreciated 58% over the past five years compared to just 14% for international value stocks. So there's been a dramatic outperformance in the United States. But again, United stocks in the United States are in bubble tor- territory in general, not value stocks, but st- all stocks in general, all assets, right? Houses appreciated nationally 19% last year. So it's all U.S. stocks and all U.S. assets that are in a bubble because it's the U.S. dollar that's in a bubble and everything, all the U.S. assets are denominated in U.S. dollars. So, but this is, again, why I'm saying that value stocks outside of the United States are very good buys here. They have dramatically underperformed the U.S. markets. And because of that, the companies that are producing earnings in these international value funds are still producing great earnings. And because they've underperformed so much, they actually provide a much better dividend yield because their earnings have not underperformed, just their stock price appreciation, because everyone's been investing in the United States over the past decade, because they think that we're in a huge time of growth, but we're really not. And as we see, again, if we look at the iShares uh, MSCI ETF for value stocks over the past week, that that has actually performed relatively well. Now, that stock over the past week is up almost 2%. But remember, the S&P 500 is down 8% over that same time period. So that's a 10% outperformance of the S&P 500. But if you really get into Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF, which again was the darling ETF and she was the darling money manager of 2020. And she has been under a lot of fire in 2021 because of her fund's atrocious performance. But if you look at some of the stocks in her ETF, the top 10 holdings, they are all stocks that are in huge bubbles. And it's crazy to me that she is going to say that value stocks, which have underperformed over the entire past decade, are in a bubble, but she has stocks like Zoom Video, Teladoc, Roku, Tesla, Coinbase, Exact Sciences Corporation, Spotify, Twilio, Square, all are top holdings in her ARK Innovation ETF, and these stocks are all in bubbles. Now, if you look at Tesla, Tesla has a price-to-earnings ratio of 323, and if you don't know, A price-to-earnings ratio represents the amount of earnings a company is producing relative to the price of the company. So, for instance, if you were to buy a small business for $100,000 and that business earns you $10,000 next year, the price-to-earnings ratio of that business would be 10. Because earning $10,000 a year, it would take that business 10 years to earn enough money to pay you back on your initial investment. So if you buy Tesla at its current price, assuming it doesn't grow anymore, 
if they continue to earn the same amount of money they're earning now, it would take them 323 years to pay you back on your initial investment based on how much money the company is earning now. Now, of course, part of buying Tesla, which would be a growth stock, is you're hoping that as the company grows, it's going to continue to produce more and more earnings, which means that it can pay you back on your initial investment in a quicker period of time. But of course, stocks have to grow into those valuations. And if they don't, then they have weeks the way that Peloton and Netflix has been having. They drop insanely quickly because people throw them away once they realize that those companies could never fulfill those investor expectations of high amounts of growth. But if you look at Zoom Video, another top holding in her ETF, they have a price to earnings ratio of 41. So it takes them 41 years at their current earnings to pay back investors their initial investment. Teladoc, huge cash burning company. This company doesn't even have any earnings yet, so they don't even have a P.E. ratio because they're losing $5.76 per share. These companies are losing tons of money. And again, they're in complete bubble valuations. But Kathy Wood continues to pound the table and buy the dips and the dips keep dipping further. Look at Roku, another stock in her ETF. This has a P.E. ratio of 80. Coinbase, this is one of the only uh, stocks in her ETF that has a reasonable price to earnings ratio of 22. Look at Exact Sciences Corporation, another money losing company, never generated a profit, has no earnings PE. You look at Unity Software, another money losing company, no PE. Spotify, another money losing company, has no earnings has no guidance for creating earnings in the future, no PE. Twilio, another company losing tons of money, lost $4.94 per share last quarter. Again, no guidance for providing any earnings anytime in the near future. And lastly, Square has a price to earnings ratio of 134. So you buy Square at its current prices, even after the huge uh, we, uh, down week that it had, it's down over 13% on the week. You buy this stock at the current price it's at, it's going to take them 134 years to generate enough earnings with your investment to pay you back on your investment. And she is saying that value stocks, which have PE ratios in the United States of anywhere from 15 to 20 times earnings, are in a bubble when she has a bunch of companies she's investing in that either don't have any earnings at all or that have extremely high price to earnings ratios. And again, if you look at international value stocks, their price to earnings ratios are much lower because as I said, many investors have been avoiding those stocks because they've preferred to invest in the US. But as they start to recognize how bad the inflation problem is in the United States, they are going to start seeking safe haven assets outside of the United States which they've already been doing over the past three trading weeks that, so to start this year. And we noticed that with the outperformance of international value stocks compared to U.S. stocks. Now, we did get some economic data on the week I want to go over briefly. We got the Eurozone CPI year-over-year numbers. In the Eurozone, they had 5% inflation year-over-year so again, inflation is a problem in a number of different economies, but still not anywhere near as much of a problem as it is in the United States. 
We also got the building permits and housing starts numbers for the United States. For building permits, we were expecting to add 1.71 million. We instead added 1.87 million. And for housing starts, we were expecting to add 1.65 million. Instead, we added 1.7 million. So a beat on both of those numbers, which is very interesting to me because mortgage rates are starting to go up. So we'll see how home builders are going to continue to react to higher mortgage rates in the future. But for now, it hasn't uh, it hasn't led them astray from building new homes. But what has led them astray from building new homes is higher prices of building homes because of higher wage expenses to get people off the sidelines and back to work, and also because of higher materials prices. Again, lumber is back up near its all-time highs, uh, and materials prices in general, especially lumber and copper, are really impeding the amount of profit margins in the home building space. So even if you look at the amount of uh, building permits, last month they added 1.71 million building permits, and this month they added 1.87. So let's see how that continues to move in the future and over the next few months. Now, one thing I wanted to go over as well was the amount of Uh, speculation that's going on in the cryptocurrency markets. As I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, Bitcoin is now well under 40,000. It's at $36,430. And it there again is is not much end in sight in this sell-off. And I don't know how anyone at this point can call Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency a safe haven asset. A safe haven asset cannot drop by 15% in one day. If you compare that to gold, gold on a huge move might move up or down 1% or 2% in a given day. So there is about 15 times less volatility in the gold market than there is in the cryptocurrency market. And if you look at Ethereum, Ethereum had an even bigger drop on the day. Ethereum is now at 2600 and it dropped 18.5% just today. But again, as I've mentioned on the podcast, just two weeks ago, leverage in Bitcoin hit an all-time record high. And it's never a good sign in any industry when leverage hits an all-time record high, because that just means that the moves to the downside are much more horrific. Again, if you own Bitcoin today, you're doing terribly. You lost 15% of your savings in one day. And again, a lot of people have been conditioned to continue to buy the dips because they think that it's always going to come back. But at some point, it's going to drop enough to where people stop buying the dips and stop coming back because they don't think they're going to be able to come back. Uh, And again, the only reason anyone buys Bitcoin is because they think they can sell it to someone else and make a profit. But that's clearly not always going to be the case. So again, this is a time where people are avoiding speculative assets you know, and you see that as evidenced in growth stocks. And again, it was an incredibly weak uh, week for the markets. And there's no sign that this is over for U.S. growth stocks. But again, if you've been in dividend-paying stocks, most particularly in international dividend-paying stocks, you've actually done pretty well over the past three weeks. International stocks, and again, international dividend stocks in general have done much better than U.S. dividend paying stocks. 
which brings me back to the O'Shares U.S. Quality Dividend ETF. Now, again, this stock or this ETF has outperformed the international value ETF that I'm looking at over the past five years. The O'Shares ETF up 58% over the past five years. And when you look at the international value ETF over the past five years, it's up only 14%. Now, a lot of the dividend paying stocks in the O'Shares ETF don't pay very high dividends because they do get higher valuations than other ETFs. And that's why these international stocks are relatively great buys because a lot of them do offer four, five, six, seven percent dividend yields annually. It is very hard to find stocks within the United States that pay anywhere near as good a dividend. And again, as the US dollar continues to fall in value, it's going to eventually catch it catch that falling value in the foreign exchange market, and people are going to have less demand to hold U.S. dollars, and they're going to prefer to sell those U.S. dollars for other currencies or for gold. And that dropping of the U.S. dollar is going to be a huge headwind for U.S. value stocks and going to be a huge tailwind for international value stocks. But again, these stocks pay much better dividends, and there are much better buys at this price, especially considering that the demographics and the macroeconomic factors are going to play a role in wealthier middle classes over in Europe and in Asia over the next decade. But again, when you buy these value stocks, you're buying companies that have a long track record for earnings. Some of these companies have been around for 30, 50, 100 years and have a long track record for producing earnings every single year and paying those earnings back to shareholders. They have established businesses, established customer bases. They are risk off assets and they are going to do very well when the markets are doing poorly as we see now. But again, when you buy these stocks, they have price to earnings ratios that you're supposed to look at when you buy them. Mostly people in the markets have just been buying momentum stocks and they don't even care about the prices they're paying for these businesses because they just think they're going to continue to go up. And a lot of newer investors in the market are learning that that isn't so easy and that doesn't happen all the time. And so a lot of people, they keep coming in and buying these dips for these growth stocks that keep falling and then the growth stocks just continue to fall and fall and fall. And a lot of people are really struggling Uh, to make money in these markets. But again, when you buy a company, you need to look at what the price of the company is that you're paying and how long at its current earnings rate is it going to take for them to pay you back. When you buy a business, right, you buy a value business, say you buy uh, a stock like Coca-Cola, it's going to take you whatever your investment is. They have a PE ratio of 29. So if you invest $1 in Coca-Cola, it's going to take Coca-Cola 29 years to pay you back that $1. Now, that is a pretty high price-to-earnings ratio for a value stock. But the reason it's higher on a company like Coca-Cola is because Coca-Cola has one of the best, if not the best, known brand in the world. And so you have to pay a premium for that business 
because it is a very highly widely known business with very, very stable earnings and with a long track record for increasing its earnings year over year as they become more productive and lower their costs and build more market share. So because the brand has such a strong presence, that you have to pay a premium for that dividend-paying stock. But again, when you buy stocks in general, you need to look at the price of the company and how much money the company is earning and what are the increases of those earnings year over year. And so that's how you sort of come to a justification for a high price-to-earnings ratio on growth stocks is because people who buy growth stocks are speculating that the company's earnings potential are going to continue to increase exponentially and the company can grow into that valuation over time. But again, a lot of the growth stocks in the U.S. have huge price to earnings ratios that they could never possibly even dream of growing into. Again, look at some of the gambling stocks all have high P ratios, DraftKings, Caesars, MGM, Wynn, Las Vegas Sands. A lot of these sports book companies, and of course, some of them have uh, have brick and mortar casinos as well, but a lot of these sports book companies could never grow into their earnings potential because there's just not enough of a an addressable market for them to build market share upon and grow into that ratio. Another example of that is the electric vehicle space. If you add up the total market cap, the total value uh, it, going by the market price of all the public ma- uh, automakers in the world, the market cap of all the automakers in the world actually exceeds the entire addressable market in the auto space. So at some point, the market is going to start picking winners and losers in this space. And clearly that's going on right now. Ford doing very poorly to start the year off. This was a stock that had a huge run up last year. It's now down over 7% on the year. Look at shares of Rivian. Rivian is collapsing as well. Lucid Group, uh, Lordstown Motors, all of these highly speculative electric vehicle companies that still have uh, barely established any manufacturing presence or any market share of vehicles on the road are continuing to crash and burn because, again, their, their price to earnings ratios are too high. And look at even Netflix. Netflix, again, down over 23% this week after a a terrible earnings report where they said the subscriber growth is slowing very highly. They've had to raise their prices 11% uh, just last week. And again, they're struggling to compete with a lot of the other streaming services. Again, you have Peacock, Fubo, uh, you have Disney Plus, you have all sorts of different apps that you can use now that you can use as streaming services, HBO Max. So there is so much competition in this space. And again, this is a stock, even after this drastic 23% fall, Netflix is still way, way overvalued. Netflix is still at a 46 uh, PE ratio. So that it's still, you invest a dollar into Netflix today after its huge drop. It'll take them 46 years at this current growth rate to pay you back on that dollar. Again, this stock is still extremely overvalued and it's going to continue to fall. There's no reason why it wouldn't. But again, the first three trading weeks to start the year are showing 
where investors' mindsets are. Investors want to invest in low PE stocks, value stocks that pay dividends, because that is the playbook for when you have high inflation, right? Because those companies can pass on their costs to their consumers much more easily than a lot of these high-tech growth stocks. Think of an example like Coca-Cola again. And again, Coca-Cola is a a high PE stock as far as value goes, but Coca-Cola can very easily pass on a 5 or 10% rise in production costs to their consumers, and people will still buy the product. We're going to see how Netflix can pass their prices on, but again, there's a limit to how much they can raise their prices because there is so much competition. If Netflix raises their prices too much, people are going to cancel their Netflix subscription and instead open up a subscription with a different streaming service, right? Again, look at Robinhood, and I've talked about this before. The way they make money is they allow a free trading platform, but they sell the the trading information to hedge funds. Now, if they could raise their prices for how much they're selling that information for, they already would have done it. So the only other way that Robinhood could pass on higher costs from inflation to their customers is to start charging commissions to the people trading on their platform. But if they start charging commissions to people trading on their platform, everyone who trades on their platform will leave and go to a different brokerage firm like E-Trade, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, where they can still get commission-free trading. And the only reason people use Robinhood is because they offer commission-free trades. So if they try to pass on higher costs from inflation onto their customers, their entire business will collapse. And so that's part of the reason why you don't want to own growth stocks in this time period. Because again, inflation is very high, which means either the Federal Reserve is going to fight inflation or they're not going to fight inflation. Now, if you've been listening to my podcast, you know my views on that, that the Federal Reserve is not going to fight inflation because the consequences of that are too dire for them to even try. But even if you think about it, if they don't fight inflation, as I mentioned, a lot of these growth stocks are going to have trouble passing on the costs of higher inflation to their customers, right? And again, another example of that would be Tesla, right? Tesla sells luxury vehicles when they have to raise the price of their vehicles by five or 10%, again, Netflix had to do an 11% price increase this week for all customers. If Tesla had to pass on 11% higher costs to their customers, they would completely, uh, they would completely downsize the amount of sales volume that they have because that would be a huge price increase, right? If you're selling a $50,000 vehicle and you have to raise the price of that by 11%, Well, that means now you're selling the vehicle for slightly over $55,000, which means there are going to be significantly less buyers. So again, if the Federal Reserve does not fight inflation and lets it continue, these growth stocks are going to have a very hard time trying to pass their higher costs onto their customers. However, if the Federal Reserve does fight inflation by allowing interest rates on bonds to rise and allowing the federal funds rate to rise, that means that the PE ratios of these growth stocks have to continue to come down because all stocks are worth the future discounted value of their current earnings, or or, sorry, of their future earnings. So if you have that a growth stocks and the Federal Reserve is allowing interest rates to rise, 
the price the prices of those stocks have to come down. The interest rates act as gravity for those stocks. So either way you you put it, growth stocks are going to perform very badly in the coming environment. And again, the few weeks of selling that we've seen to start the year, it, we haven't seen anything yet. Now we'll see what happens in next week's trading sessions. Uh, we might get a slight bounce as people come in and try and buy the dips again. But again, over the next year and over the next several years, growth stocks is absolutely not the place where you want to be. And again, the thing with growth stocks is most of them don't pay any dividends at all. And so imagine if someone bought Netflix three years ago. Say they bought it at $450 a share, which is where you could have picked the stock up sometime three years ago. And say you've held that stock until today. Well, now the stock is down uh, over again. It's down 23% on the day and it's it finished the day at $396 a share. So you would have had losses of $50 a share if you bought the stock three years ago and held it to today. But also you would have not collected any dividends from owning that stock, right? And so you'd have nothing to show for it. Even if you bought the stock at 450 three years ago, the stock went up to 600. You felt like a genius and you had a bunch of unrealized capital gains. And now you watch the stock crash all the way back down sub, sub 400. Now you have a loss over that three years, plus you've collected zero dividends. See, at least if you buy value stocks, even if the value stocks come down in price, if you have a long-term time horizon, you still get to collect dividends on those stocks. And so at least you have something to show for the time you've hold, held those investments, even if they do drop in price. But again, I don't expect that to happen in the next several years because international stocks and value stocks in particular are where investors are going to want to be because of all the inflation problems, not just in the United States, but all over the world. So if you still own these growth stocks, it's time to sell them. Don't worry that you didn't get out at the very top of the bubble. Again, these stocks have a long way to fall because their valuations are still ridiculously high. And these are going to come way back down to earth over the next year. And it, you still have plenty of time to sell them and rotate as everyone has been doing the past few weeks into value stocks. But again, growth stocks have the same dilemma that bonds have. Either the Federal Reserve fights inflation or lets inflation run out of control Either scenario is bad for growth stocks and either scenario is bad for bonds, as I've been saying. Now, bonds were relatively steady on the week. But again, remember, the Federal Reserve still has not finished its tapering process. So not only have they not raised interest rates yet, not only have they started to shrink their balance sheet yet, but they are still expanding their balance sheet. They're just doing it at a slightly slower pace. But they are still buying bonds, keeping bond prices pumped up artificially. And again, the bond market is going to suffer this year when they start to sell those bonds back into the market. But think about where we are. And again, this is what I was saying last year. The Federal Reserve, if they try to raise interest rates, they are going to destroy the markets. The markets, again, the NASDAQ in particular is down over 13% on the year, the S&P down 8% on the year. And remember, we're only three trading weeks in, and that is on anticipation of the Federal Reserve 
raising interest rates several months from now by a quarter of a percent. And again, they haven't even gotten that far yet. They still haven't even sold the bonds off their balance sheet to put themselves in position to uh, raise interest rates by a quarter percent. But again, how can you fight inflation with a quarter percent rate hike when inflation is well above 7% and continuing to rise month over month? Again, if the Federal Reserve was really going to fight inflation, they'd have to bring interest rates to at least 10%, but probably more closer to 15 or 20%. And again, the markets are just pricing in a few tiny, tiny rate hikes, and they're already getting killed to start the year. So could you imagine how far markets had to fall if the Federal Reserve actually fought inflation effectively by raising interest rates to where they have to be? And again, how do I know where, infl- where interest rates have to be to fight inflation? Very simple. To fight inflation, you have to, at the very least, have positive interest rates. So if inflation 7%, if you're going to effectively fight that inflation, you have to raise interest rates to a minimum of 8% to fight that inflation because you need to have positive real interest rates to encourage people to save money and discourage people from borrowing money. So, But again, inflation is continuing to climb. And we already have 7% official inflation for last year. And that's just the way that the government measures it. Really, inflation was much higher. But even taking the CPI at its face value for 2021, we had 7% inflation. And again, if the, the inflation that we have now, the CPI is measured much differently than the last time we had high inflation was the 1970s. And again, Paul Volcker, the then Federal Chair, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman, had to raise interest rates all the way to 20% to fight inflation. And inflation was not anywhere near as bad as it is right now. But again, in order to fight inflation, you need to have positive real interest rates, which means in order for the Federal Reserve to actually take inflation down, they have to raise rates to a minimum of 8% or wherever the CPI goes in the future. But also one last thing I want to go over before I wrap up the podcast is the difference between the United States economy today and in the 1970s. See, in the 1970s, it took 20% interest rates to fight inflation, but the economy in the U.S. was still productive at that time. We still ran trade surpluses. We were the world's largest exporting nation and the world's largest creditor nation. We were still in an incredibly wealthy society in America. And nobody in the middle class had debt, right? There were no credit card debts. There was no student loan debts. Uh, If people bought a car, they bought it with cash. They didn't take out auto loans. So there was no debt in the economy. Corporations had much less debt. And the government had significantly less debt. Flip that around to today. Everyone is levered to the hilt with debt. Uh, Consumers, corporations, the government... If interest rates were to rise in this environment, it would have a much more negative impact on the economy than it did in the 1970s. And so there is no way that the Federal Reserve could stomach raising rates all the way to 20 percent because that would literally crash the stock market by probably 70, 80 or 90 percent. And they don't won't have the stomach for that. Uh, And again, just look at past uh, precedent for it because when the Federal Reserve was raising rates and got as high as two and a quarter percent in 2018, 
the market sold off about 20% into bear market territory and they reversed course because they couldn't handle a 20% drop. So the American economy today is in much worse shape than it was in the 1970s. The American economy today is much more dependent on imports and borrowing money to buy stuff from other nations. And the consumer today is much more dependent on borrowing money to buy stuff to make ends meet. So the Federal Reserve is not going to fight inflation, but inflation is going to continue to run out of control, which is going to be bad news for a lot of these growth stocks, particularly United States growth stocks, where the consumer is going to become poorer as the U.S. dollar falls in value and where a lot of stocks are going to have a hard time passing on higher costs to their customers without hurting their volumes. And so there is going to be big problems for growth stocks in the U.S. And again, it is not too late to make this rotation, sell your growth stocks and get into value stocks that pay high dividends. If there were ever a time to be cautious in your investing, this is the time. You want to buy real assets that produce real earnings, that have a long track record for producing earnings, that can generate you a yield that is competitive with inflation, like 6 or 7 or 8% dividends that are paid in international value stocks. And it is time to make this rotation now because, again, the harsh selling we've seen in the last three weeks is reminding a lot of traders that it's not so easy to trade the markets. And it's showing a lot of newly uh, welcomed retail investors into the market that it's not so easy to pick stocks and invest after all. But again, we're going to continue to see selling over the next couple of quarters, in my opinion, maybe not next week. But again, I think these markets have a long way to fall, especially if the Federal Reserve ramps up its shrinking of its balance sheet and tries to raise interest rates at all. But again, I look for bonds to sell off uh, very highly in the future. Bonds are selling at about $96 right now uh, at a small discount. Um, but they're going to continue to fall, especially if the Federal Reserve starts selling their bonds back into the market. Because again, if investors are going to buy those bonds from the Federal Reserve, they're going to demand much higher rates of interest than what's being offered right now because of the inflation problems within the American economy.